The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Hello, and welcome to episode four, not counting the bonus episodes, of Functional Banking Magic. As always, I'm Liz Lumley, Deputy Editor of The Banker, and today we are talking about the startup mindset. We all know there isn't a bank worth their innovation lab that hasn't spoken about the need to instill entrepreneurial values and the startup mindset inside their walls. But what does that mean exactly? Is startup culture all it's hyped up to be? And what does being an entrepreneur mean inside a centuries-old incumbent bank with tens of millions of customers? To start off this discussion, I'm speaking to Xavier Rebes, Director of Digital Strategy and New Business at Kaisha Bank. Hello, Xavier. Hello, Liz. Very nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> so this topic is is pretty close to my heart. Um, people know I used to run an accelerator program for for fintech startups, and I worked a lot with startups and banks. Um, you know, and one of the things I hear often uh, from banks is, um, you know, we're creating this startup mindset inside. And and uh, we also sometimes hear a few people talk about that their bank actually isn't a bank. It's a tech company with a banking license. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why small startups find it easier to develop innovative products in a short period of time. And and I really think agile work methods aren't the only reason because of that. So although we were promised an end to banks over 10 years ago, banks are still around. And, and I'm of the opinion they're going to be around for quite some time. But um, so, in fact, um, if banks aren't going anywhere anytime soon, are there things that need to and are changing? You know, do banks need to be better partners with tech startups? You know, possibly. Uh, where, where do we leave the startup culture hype behind? And where is the reality? So, so Xavier, one of the first questions I really want to say to you to get, get your point of view and your opinion. When you hear we need to instill a startup mindset at the bank, what does that mean to you? Well, Lisa, I think, first of all, I think you're hitting the nail on the head with this intro. Um, quite frankly, this is becoming a buzzword that at some point might have different meaning across different organizations and ultimately even within the organization. So from where I stand, startups tend to be associated on their mindset with a new set of values um, that are very interesting. One of them is the fact that they, they have a speed in the decision making. They have, they have the ability to pivot and change quickly when facing adversity specifically. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, they have this orientation to learn whilst they develop new products and services, even from their mistakes. I believe that these, these values are also very beneficial for complex, custom-facing corporations, such as banks, amongst others, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's why we try to foster them. And we the complexity is that we can't forget the fact that banks are also expected to be a sign of robustness, trustworthiness, and quality. Words that may not sound so trendy, but they are very much in our DNA. Mm-hmm. And it's our mission to try to encompass both, you know, and guarantee the success of both philosophies in a way. So that's what we try. 
No, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, that sort of trust and robustness, I always think, is the is the sort of the ace, in the, the you know, the, the ace in the back pocket for a lot of banks. Is it, It's the reason why I think banks are, are still here and will be around for a while. But you mentioned a little bit before about that, you know, the ability to kind of pivot and change quickly, which, of course, you know, does happen in startups all, a lot because they're much smaller organizations. Any sort of large bank of any of any age is is a certain amount of size. So that change, that quickness, almost almost physically can't happen. So what is what is that? What is a quick change and a pivot kind of look like? How does it kind of develop and morph when you move it from a small startup and you put it inside a, a large bank like Kaiser Bank? Well, we do have some great examples. Yeah, and yeah. um, for instance, the. We have changed over the last uh, over the last few day, years, sorry, um, the way we define and develop and even deliver a new value proposition for our customers. And in fact, we launched um, what we call customer experience labs. Mm. So you must, um, these labs uh, are sort of cross-functional teams from different areas of the bank working together towards the same objective. And, and they try to overcome the day the, the previous day-to-day methodologies but not just with the use of agile as you put it mm. so we have empowered our teams to lead projects and make decisions on the spot so what this entails is that they use innovation methodologies but the change the one is expected is delivery so it's not just a decision to be made so they, we expect them to deliver the product on these services mm-hmm. the 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 they have been empowered to become more data-driven and, and we, we create value offerings for our customers. And for that reason, we need to instill the information and the tools for those teams to be able to use the data that they gather from their customers and to deliver these value propositions properly. And we, just, we don't just analyze our customers through the numbers. We have our own, our own customer insights team that is this specifically designing experiences hmm. with uh, new methodologies and trying to gather real insights from our customers as we speak. So at the end of the day, changing might not be as quickly, but it's a massive change for us and, and it, it's, it's reaping those benefits. I, I wanted to maybe ask you a further question about the the customer experience labs. I mean, you mentioned that they're they're populated by people from from various parts of the bank. And one of the mm-hmm. things I often hear from from other banks is sometimes people that work in innovation and in the labs are very sort of separate from the rest of the bank, and it's hard to instill some of the decisions and ideas back into kind of the belly of the beast. Is that decision to include people from all different? units and, and, and parts of the bank, what, one of the strategies that you've used to, to ensure that some of these innovative ideas and decisions are, into, are easily integrated into the main business? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that one of the things that we try to avoid uh, is thinking that innovation is just sort of a mandate for a very specific group of people, particularly mm-hmm. my, one, my team. Um, this is uh, a mandate for everyone. We have very much shared the fact that everyone needs to be, it's in everyone's purpose to deliver innovation and to ensure that they keep changing to adapt. And that's something that it's it's necessary in every organization, but specifically in one that is over a hundred years old as ourselves. So 
this is one this this is this is a mandate that, that we must deliver but we cannot do it alone so mm -hmm. if we want to transform the bank you, you have to embrace new ways of working and so that's why these sort of labs are the best way to achieve it mm. yeah so it's so it's innovation isn't just the cool kids in the lunchroom it's it's the business of everyone at the bank precisely yeah mm. Have you ever seen? You don't have to name names, but kind of you know in your in your career and your experience, have you ever ever seen uh, this not work? You know where where a bank kind of tries to build an entrepreneurial team, bring in startup uh, uh, workflows. Have you ever seen it not work, and why? Well, I think that for this to work. It takes an effort. Um, I don't say it takes a village, but it's definitely it's definitely something that takes an effort. And so, probably places where this hasn't worked, it, it might be related with the fact that they haven't tried hard enough. Mm -hmm. And because it, it, as you put it before, it's not easy to change the way you conduct a business if you are a massive organization. And um, and then these changes very often entail. Um, cultural and even organizational aspects that you need to ponder before taking a step forward. So my my understanding and, and I have seen some you know failed examples in the past is that it was a matter it was a matter of effort. Mm -hmm. What I expect from these efforts, failed efforts if you want, is that you have the ability to learn from them. And the takeaway is that you have to understand what's the underlying issue that prevented you from succeeding in the first place and making sure that you have another alternative to tackle that issue. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, do you think going forward, I'm always interested to see how things kind of evolve. I mean, are we, is there always going to be kind of an innovation department or an innovation lab at banks, or will eventually kind of that term disappear as it becomes everyone's business that everyone talks about? So, so I, I think that innovation has taken many different paths in in banks and in corporations in general, uh, we've seen some some of these labs become sort of an independent lane for quickly developing new ideas that can be launched and separately from the from the bank itself. It's it's very effective if you want to incubate something and launch it quickly, but it's definitely this detachment that has some limitations at times. Uh, specifically, if you want to transform the organization with this initiative, then it becomes. Um, as you put it, the cool kids uh, kind of mentality, and obviously uh, it's very separate. Um, we have other examples that we've seen work that are more focused in developing an ecosystem of entrepreneurship and then creating partnerships with this ecosystem. And within these partnerships, creating this sort of mandate that help transform the organization. Also, this can be okay, even they sometimes become lucrative investments, but um, the, the other examples that we have, uh, and, and that I feel that are also very valuable, even if they're not quite as visible, are those teams that are inserted within, within the organization, maybe not just named as innovation, but they, they have different and combined mandates, but they try to transform the organization from within. And um, we have very good examples of work at Kasha Bank and, and the three examples mentioned above, mm -hmm. but in these last ones, I think, those are definitely not going anywhere. Um, I don't see any chance where banks will stop needing transformation in mm -hmm. the future, honestly. 
Mm. So our, our final question, you know, is we, we're now entering the, our second decade of the, the fintech revolution with all these new companies on in the market. And, of course, a lot of people are talking about decentralized finance these days. So cards on the table, long-term future. Are banks staying where they are or, or are, they, uh, are we entering a future where we, we don't need regulated secure banks anymore? I'm leading you down a path. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I, I'd say that... I don't envision a bankless future. Mm-hmm. Um, banks have done an outstanding effort in adapting to the new technologies and new times. At Casa Bank, we have adapted uh, several times. We've we have great examples of innovation. We we launched the first ATM that uses your biometry to to mm-hmm. to withdraw money. We use voice banking. We launched our own fintech. And Imagine has a presence in the metaverse, and and we have even done papers with Quantum with partners such as IBM. I don't see banks, um, you know, uh, expect waiting to see what happened in in and st- to see if they finally find their doom. Um, the <laughs> other day, to put it an example, um, my team was an event organized by, a, by one of these decentralized autonomous organizations, mm. and it was full of crypto adepts. Mm-hmm. We couldn't find a single one that wasn't using a bank. Maybe it was <laughs> not a conventional bank, but they all had a bank. Mm-hmm. So I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, no, interesting. A great great way to end. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for speaking with me. I appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you, Liz. Thanks. Welcome again to Functional Banking Magic. I'm Liz Lumley of The Banker, and today we are talking about the startup mindset. There isn't a bank worth their innovation lab that hasn't spoken about the need to instill entrepreneurial values and the startup mindset inside their walls. But what does that mean exactly? Is startup culture all it's hyped up to be? What does being an entrepreneur mean inside a centuries-old incumbent bank with tens of millions of customers. We have a fantastic panel with us today. Uh, Today, we are speaking to uh, Adiza Tajani, who's at the portfolio team at HSBC Ventures, Wincy Wong, head of services, workforce, technical capability at NatWest, and Craig Fox, managing director, fintech at Silicon Valley Bank. Welcome all. Hello. Hi. Hi there. (laughs) I think the Americans outnumber we are poor for these. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> as, we, as we do this from from sunny London. Um, yeah, so we're going to start this with, with the discussion. And I know technically I'm the host and moderator, but hopefully I, I, sometimes I might come in with some of my own my own views and, and opinions. But uh, but you're here to talk about all, all your expertise and knowledge. I mean, this topic is very close to my heart um, because one of the things I've heard most often over the past 10 years from banks is, you know, we're creating this startup mindset. We're bringing in entrepreneurial values. Um, you know, and of course, there's a lot of people that describe their bank as, well, we're not a bank. We're a startup tech company with a banking license. Um, yes, yes, I saw that face. It's easy. We'll, we'll be getting to that in, in a second. Um, there are lots of reasons why small startups find it easier to develop innovative products in a short period of time. And, you know, agile work methods aren't aren't the only reason for that. Um, however, although we were promised kind of an end to banks, what, a decade ago, over a decade ago, banks are still around. Um, and in fact, I'm going to go out with one of my opinions, one of my limbs here. I don't think banks actually are going anywhere. Um, I think things will change and are changing. Um, and, and banks and, and smaller companies need to, to better partner. But, you know, where does this leave startup culture 
you know, where's the hype and, and, and where's the reality and what, what does this actually mean inside bags? So since Adiza, since you, I saw you smirk, you have the advantage of being in the room with me, um, I'm going to go to you first. When, when you hear the phrase, we need to instill a startup mindset at a bank like HSBC, um, what, do you, what does that mean to you? Um, I think that it's borrowing from uh, the ability for startups to be able to move at a certain pace and to deliver a product at a, st at a certain pace. But I think over the last decade, um, many institutions and incumbents and banks have been able to um, start to uh, change their um, delivery cycles to actually adapt and to bring certain experiences that their customers want, which is driven by having that sort of faster mindset. But I think that you still have to do it within the boundaries of being safe and secure for your customers, um, because we are custodians for our customers and um, we, we still have, we have that fiduciary duty to them. Um, and so we still need to make sure we get it right as well as making sure that um, our teams and our um, staff are, are empowered to make sure that they feel that they can move as quickly as possible mm. uh, for the best customer experience, but safely. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Mm. Um, and the, the startup mindset, you read so many different startup books, and um, or even if you have been in a startup, you recognize that no company is perfect, um, but you need to make sure that you um, know where your goal is, know where you're heading, and you adapt as you need to. And I think that's the essence of the startup mindset that mm -hmm. um, from a sort of fintech partnership point of view and even investing in fintechs as well, that part of the startup mindset is the thing that's being adapted across the banking sector. Um, but it does take time. Uh, I think you have to make sure that your 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 teams are resourced and educated and empowered to learn and that you're constantly learning, um, but also reassuring that you're working and partnering with different types of technology institutions, whether it's big or small. So even some of the big techs say that they have a startup mindset as well. So I think we're all borrowing from different parts of the industry to make sure that our customers are at the heart and that's the most important thing at the end of the day. I like that borrowing from other parts of the industry. I mean, I'll go into it a bit later because you have a very interesting background being an entrepreneur, worked at startups. You, of course, were at the beginning of Level 39 here in the UK, and now you're at, at, uh, at HSBC. But I wanted to get everyone in in the beginning just to give this overall viewpoint. So I'm going to go to, to Wincy. I mean, you're at, a, at, a, at an organization that's, what, three centuries, over three centuries old. Um, you know, when, when you say that let's instill a startup mindset, what, what does that mean to a... 350-year-old bank, what, what do we, or to yourself, actually. We have been around for three centuries. Um, so, uh, And what I would say is I wouldn't say that we are um, have ever made any claims to being a startup tech company with a banking license. <laughs> However, there is definite recognition of a move to become more of a tech company with a banking license. I think the I, I think if you really boil down what it means to be a startup and a startup mindset and take out their certain uh, qualities of it, I think that's what we mean when we talk about having a more um uh, more of a startup mindset within the bank. I think 
to start out with is agility, flexibility, um, the ability to pivot, for example, the ability um, to hustle, <laughs> if you want to call it that, as well, um, within the bank. I think what is really interesting is that banks have been um, around for a long time. There's a lot of structures in place, and it's very complex. We have very complicated customers. We have um, complicated tech stacks, technology, and and there it takes an army for us to be able to move sometimes. And however, the market, because of technology, has started uh, accelerating in terms of pace of change. And so we as a bank need to accelerate as well. And that's where I think this phrase has really come from, at least from a NetWest perspective, in that we want to be able to move more quickly, to address customer needs more rapidly, to be able to build better technologies quickly, and to be more agile, to be able to make more changes. And that hasn't been a quick journey on its own. That's been a quite a big, long journey as well. I think um, a perfect example of startup mindset, I, I guess, in the bank and outside is, um, I currently run um, a program uh, someone called Sheena Hales and my team runs it, called Skill Bank. And that is a, how do we develop our uh, staff colleagues' skills through volunteering in the community. And what's really um, great about it is that people in the bank sign up for gigs. So we work with some charities that we have relationships with. Um, they need help. And actually, a lot of people in the bank have lots of skills. So, And we also have volunteering days that we give to our staff to, to go back into the community. And the overwhelming response I've had from all of those volunteers, and there are, there are many of them, there's over 500 at the moment, who are working in the communities, are saying that, oh my god, I've learned so much working with a small enterprise, a female founded company, a BAME founded company, um, a charity or a social enterprise, whatever the case may be. I have learned so much because all of a sudden it forces them to use the skills that they developed at the bank, but work outside the normal kind of structures that we have to, to actually move more quickly, to understand problems, to pivot, uh, do all those things that entrepreneurs, <laughs> you know, and me myself as one um, as well, uh, are know how to do or, or is more instinctive probably for us. Interesting, sort of learning, learning that startup that mindset kind of takes a long time. Um, I'll come back to you on that, but I wanted to bring bring Craig, Greg, and you're coming from a, a different type of bank, um, the one that actually has Silicon Valley in 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 the title. Um, you know, what 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 do you hear uh, when someone says we need to instill a startup mindset? Yeah, thanks, Hi, everyone. Um, pleasure to be here. Yeah, look, I think. Um... I think the concept or the terminology of startup mindset is really, really is talking about the enviable characteristics that you know we see and we we kind of view from the founders and startups perspective. So it's you know, it's it's what it's what everybody else said: speed, creativity, hard work, innovation, the ability to deliver um, quite quickly and pivot quite quickly. Um, you know, and I think I think why is it getting you know more and more focused within the banking industry? Um, I think it's primarily driven with the rise in tech and, and primarily the widening gap, what seems like a widening gap in the expectation of what our customers want from us and what's actually, you know, maybe achievable, you know, with the historical way of operating, um, you know, and even, you know, even, even with, you know, shifts in, in 
you know, the startup mindset kind of um, being more prevalent within large organizations, you know, there's a question of whether or not it, it actually can even be achieved alone or do, you know, that's, you mentioned very briefly at the beginning about partnership. And I, I think what's going to come out in this conversation is that uh, certainly from my perspective, that's the, that's the way forward. Yeah, no, I think I'm glad you mentioned partnerships because I wanted, I want to go back to something Adiza talked about where you, you talked about how banks, you know, banks are regulated entities. They need to de de move forward in ways that are secure. You know, we're talking about people's money. All that, all that is true. But, you know, if you look at the tech companies, the fintech companies that sell into the banking world or in the, you know, shouldn't they be worried about that safety and security as well? I'm not saying that that's what you said, but it does seem like sometimes when uh, you, you look at the pace of change or the pace of innovation at banks, a lot of banks come back and say, well, you know, we're we're regulated and we need to do things that are secure. We need to do things at our own pace. But it's doesn't those same rules affect, affect the, the smaller, more nimble startups? Or is it is it kind of just a way of a gaze or looking at it? Um, I yeah, think, I'm, I'm, oh, no, go on. Go oh, on. sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, you're saving it. Go for it. Yeah. I, look, my, from my perspective, um, absolutely. You know, they should be held to the, to the same standard, you know, particularly fintechs that are regulated and performing kind of regulated activity, but, you know, you know, fintechs that are, and tech companies that are building products, you know, whether it's back-end infrastructure, software, or, you know, front-end solutions that banks are using to deploy to their customers, you know, it's, it's absolutely should be held to the same standard. I think the big difference is, um, you know, you've got you know, high-caliber teams focused on, hyper-focused on, you know, solving, you know, a, a smaller number of solutions, right? You can, they're laser-focused on solving one, two, or three primary things, which, you know, that's what's really enabling them to move you know, quickly um, and and develop things and launch product. You know, so so much faster than maybe a, a a larger institution that have you know many layers of stakeholders and processes that they're that they're dealing with over time. So I don't think it's necessarily a function of um, them not needing to meet the same the same bar or have the same level of responsibility. But I'm curious to, to hear what everybody else thinks. Yeah, I think that it's um, one of the things that some of our portfolio companies tell us when we're asking about how their sort of rollouts and implementations are going is that, that they actually learn from us um, due to some of the um, probing and questions and, and hoops that they need to sometimes jump through in order to get an implementation live with us. And they're able to take that learning as a fintech and be ready for any other kind of implementation. And we're ready for banks. any bank. Sorry, they're ready for any <laughs> bank, which which is which is, goes back to sort of the partnership element that um, we are all going to coexist um, for the next however many decades. And in order to co coexist, we... The, the startup mindset is the ability to learn and adapt from each other and from the best in class. And you also want to buy the best in class technology, invest in the best in class technology. Um, and so that that ability is so important for all sides. And I think sometimes when you are partnering with um, an organization that isn't like how you operate, you kind of have to learn how to work together um, and do that dance and then get through that phase and then get to the next level. And some some um, fintechs are better at it than others. And mm. um, 
I think that actually we're in another part of the talent cycle. So I think we've hit sort of 10 years here in in the UK um, of this industry sort of booming in this way. Um, but for some people, they do say, as you say sometimes, Liz, that this industry has been here for a longer time than that. Um, and so I do think that cycle of learning of how do you work, how do we work together? How do we make sure that we... Um, uh, Ad, help each other advocate in the best ways with all of our stakeholders in order to get to the best outcomes for our customers and to solve the big problems versus just solving small incremental bits, mm. I think is going to be really important. And that is part of the startup mindset, um, the ability to adapt to change. Um, and I think that's sometimes a struggle when it's like, hey, you're a bank, I'm a fintech or I'm a tech startup. Uh, is this possible? It is definitely possible, and there are many examples of successful relationships. Um, Quintexo is a company that we we've uh, worked with a lot, and they are one example um, where the the team understands how to navigate, but also understands how to make sure um, that they bring their best to the table. Mm. Um, I, lo I love that imagery of it's a dance. You know, some of us are better dancers than, than others. others. <laughs> I, think, I think what Adiza said just now is really, really important mm. because I, I completely agree in that for successful partnerships to happen between larger regulated institutions like a bank with a smaller fintech or tech company startup, there needs to be a level of maturity in that startup. Mm. So there is less likelihood of success, certainly in my experience, doing lots and lots of partnerships uh, here at NetWest as well, um, is there is less likelihood of success if the startup is maybe a little bit too early, I would say, in their phase. Um, and I don't want to necessarily, there's no definition necessarily of what at what phase are they ready for a bank? But but there is certainly um, a certain level of maturity um, and they do learn through that process, even if they are a little bit mature. So if you want to talk about startup mindset within a bank, so how do you encourage that, but you don't kind of stamp it out too quickly, <laughs> is, probably what, um, is that you do kind of give a little bit of room, uh, a little bit of license to your um, to, to members of the bank to be able to kind of grow and to get to a certain level of maturity before going all out in terms of um, doing almost like a mini partnership within the bank even itself to grow something, partner up with kind of, a, if you want to call it the, the main the mothership or, or if you want to call it the main bank and then, the and then to be able to, <laughs> to, to go out, well, maybe not a board, but like um, uh, um, we, we are very nice and nice and wonderful people here now. So, so um, uh, whereas before launching something for um, a larger platform of customers, because that is, you know, one of the biggest things that a bank uh, advantages that a bank has, these tens of millions of customers, like you said. But because we have tens of millions of customers, we have to take um, very much, uh, as we were saying earlier, um, a lot of duty of care to make sure that we protect them. Mm. I'm, I'm glad you. I think that's a really good point, Wincy, about the the level of maturity required, you know, for, from a partnership. And I would say it goes full circle because I think before a you know a bank engages with a with a startup or a fintech company around a partnership, I think it requires a level of maturity from the bank as well 
you know, to, to clearly identify what that process looks like, what the decision tree is going to be, who the stakeholders are, you know, how to navigate, because every bank is very, very different, but how to navigate that and to actually be in a position where, um, you know, the, the purchase or the, the, the decision can be made, you know, relatively quickly, um, you know, the, the, there's the right level of resource around the implementation. Cause I've certainly seen, um, I've certainly seen, you know, many fintechs kind of get, end up in a bit of a death march with, you know, they, the, the funding cycles for a startup, you know, are such that they don't have, um, unlimited time to drive, you know, positive outcomes in terms of revenue growth, contract conversion. It, it, you know, it's to, it's to, kind of that, that death of the long, maybe, which, which banks yeah, get. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. And I think that that is um, incredibly, incredibly unhelpful for the for everybody involved. <laughs> Have there been anything? I mean, just maybe also to bring it back to the bank, because I really liked, you know, where, where both of you were saying about that maturity inside the bank. And and, and Winsy talked about at the beginning this, you know, what what pivoting and looks like inside the bank and empowering the people that work there to to be a bit braver and maybe maybe start partnerships internally before they they grow up to. Uh, looking for partnerships outside the company. Where have any of you, and you don't need to name names, where have any of you seen this not work? Not <laughs> just, you know, we've, we're all going to be startups now. We're all going to be entrepreneurs. We're all going to partner with small fintechs and everything will be rosy. When have you seen it not work? So I can start and Go for it. talk about <laughs> um, So one of the things that I, I used to run it is the Rose Review for Entrepreneurship uh, for Female Entrepreneurs, looking at how do we grow um, female entrepreneurs across the UK along with HM Treasury and Department of Base. And as part of that uh, implementation, I spent a lot of time with female founders uh, all around the country talking about their major barriers. And the ones that we've highlighted were um, first, uh, for female entrepreneurs, um, first of all, all was funding. Second was all, all around um, family care responsibility, so time. And then the last but not least was was around support. So that is a combination of mentorship, the um, their assessment of their ability, uh, skills, um, and additional risk appetite as well it was very important as part of it. If you want to lump kind of these three broad categories. So, and that goes for someone trying to do something inside the bank as well. You need to have the funding structure in place if you want to uh, get any, any kind of either innovation or new type of project. Um, doesn't even have to be an innovation project, just needs to be any kind of change project in a bank. Um, you would need the funding, you would certainly need um, the time, the, so the ability to actually, uh, the room and the breadth of ability to do what you need to do. And then last but not least, that extra support. So do you have uh, the risk kind of um, appetite cleared? Uh, do you have the mentorship you need or the support from more seniors? All of that kind of needs to have to be uh, in place for you to be successful. So I have seen many times, uh, I would say, where we know that when we go out to do partnerships and ventures, not all of them will succeed. Not all of them will last forever. Um, and there's an element where we know that some of them will go through and some of them will fail. And usually when I've seen them fail, um, have been because of one of those three reasons. There was a lack of um, investment in time, there's a lack of funding allocated to them, or a lack of support 
to be given or not enough risk appetite for that part of the bank or whatever, whoever was making the decisions at that time to be able to approve um, the project to go ahead. So that, that lack of funding, I mean, is does that kind of feed into what used to happen a few years ago that, that innovation was just kind of for show and for theater and it wasn't wasn't something that was a, a central part of a bank's mission? I think it depends on the type of funding. So, like, I I sit in the investment team, um, and so we we invest in the companies that um, we think have a strategic alignment to what HSBC is doing globally. And so, I think when sometimes the the categorization of what what type of funding is sometimes in our ecosystem sort of bungled into one. Whereas the type of funding that is needed at the early stage versus the type of funding that's needed at the later stage mm. is also a symptom of the ecosystems that we're operating in. So as we know, Liz, in the in the UK, the amount of fintech funding that was available for companies to start um, over the last five years has significantly increased mm. in comparison to when we started out doing stuff at level 39. Just a few scrappy and just a, Yeah, and it was a bit scrappy. But actually, that's also a signal of the fact that many more organisations want to invest in this kind of uh, innovation. Um, and so I think that, to her point, that you also still need to make sure that that your project has that BAU funding mm -hmm. and it's part of your sales cycle to make sure that happens, as well as making sure that you have the ability to raise capital, which is a different skill set, um, to making sure that your sales process is, is still on track. And I sometimes think in our ecosystem, um, it seems as an either or, but you actually need to make sure that you're good at both. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to sell into a bank is really important. Being able to fundraise um, is a skill set and shouldn't should be. I know that when we um, hear companies pitch to us, we also give um, we also give guidance on how we want to be pitched as well, so that mm -hmm. there there is that fit. Um, and most of the time, it has to be strategic for us. So they actually have to have sold sold into us already um, a majority of the time with most of our um, investments at HSBC. Um, Interesting. We still we we've got our we've got our other two people but people on the call. I mean we're 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 getting close to the end of time. I wanted to keep this to around around a ha uh, a half hour. But um, so why don't why don't we go around the table and get get a final a final word for everyone. I mean, as I mentioned before at the start of this discussion, uh, we were promised 10 years ago that the fintech companies would come in and destroy the banks and we'd have an all-new utopia that would be lovely for everybody, which, of course, we know the world is much more complicated and we're just a, a pulsating ecosystem of people borrowing from each other and learning to dance with each other, which is also fun. So so cards on the table. Where Where are we going then? If if banks have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, are we are we seeing a change? And in the future, will we not need banks at all? So I don't know. I'll go. I'll go to Craig because I haven't gone to you first to see on on your view of that. What is your final thought? Yeah, I, look, I it's um I've been following the this fintech space for quite some time. Um, and I you know I was around when uh, when all that conversation was happening. You'd go to the conferences and 
and it was the death of the bank and you know the unbundling of financial services and then it, a couple of years later it was the the rebundling and um you know in the world of partnership and i think i think it's pretty i think the it's pretty clear the the path forward is um banks are not going away but i think their role you know is going to continue to evolve and change over time and you know i think the financial institutions and banks that that recognize the role that they can play as enablers of of technology um, of buyers of new you know technological solutions and have figured out a way to really clearly and efficiently partner are going to be the ones that that benefit then I think everybody else will you know continue to have their um, kind of their value erode over time but but clearly um, in my view banks are Around for the long long term, um, I think just the operating model uh, and the and the way that they grow over time will will certainly change. So, uh, Wincy, I'll, I'll go to you for for final thoughts on where we're going. So, I think um, in terms of bank itself, I think the interface where we live might change over time. However, I think banks won't necessarily disappear. How much of us you see, I guess, will will just depend on, on a lot of factors as technologies mature, etc. I completely agree with what Craig said. I think the banks that will uh, continue to grow, survive, remain, are the ones who are able to be um, a bit more agile, be able to change and meet their customer demands. And I think those who are the most customer focused and able to move quickly to respond to what customers um, want to do will continue to be around for quite some time. Okay. Wincy, you have the final word. You had the first word, now the final word. Woo! Exciting. Adiza. <laughs> this is Friday. Adiza Dijani, you have the final word. Where do you think we're going here with banks? Well, I have to go and retire now and go sleep. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, that's not possible. We've got a long mm. career ahead of us. Um, I think that we, um, we as an industry will continue to learn and evolve. Uh, banks were some of the first players to buy the big computer, the mainframe computers mm -hmm. back in the day. You can go to Bletchley Park and see them. Um, and so we need to make sure that we um, learn quickly, uh, but also execute the important. It's great to talk, but execution mm. is the thing that drives things for our customers. And that's really important for them. That, that just fits in with the theme of all the podcasts. <laughs> I'm going to have you back every month. Um, Adiza, Wincy and Craig, thank you so much uh, for joining us on Functional Banking Magic. Thank you, Les. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of The Banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you'd like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com. <laughs>